This week, because of several passages, I put the scriptures in this insert. If you would find that, I thought it would be a little helpful so we won't have to thumb through different passages. And this is, uh, I didn't go to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, which is our denominational seminary, uh, but I understand that they teach so strongly about uh, exegesis and uh, teaching from a particular passage that they said, well, every once in a while you can teach a topical sermon and then repent of it afterwards. (laughs) So... I'll be repenting of this afterwards. But I am uh, dealing with the the topic of outreach. uh, And and these passages form a a bit of a fabric of some of the things said in the Word that I want to speak to. Uh, But there's not one particular passage that we're going to be focusing on, but trying to garner these these ideas uh, throughout the New Testament. And I want to talk about... Two different things, as indicated in the bulletin, believing in uh, believing in him for outreach, but two words, fear and action. So dealing some with what are our fears and how can we overcome those fears? How can we move ahead? Then some ideas just for action. And this will not be exhaustive. And I'll probably have some of this in print uh, in the weeks to come. And one of the things I. Uh, I'll say this later, but we as the leadership want you to understand that we don't want three years from now for us all to remember, oh, yeah, Darwin spoke about outreach three years ago. I remember that. But this, we feel like, is the first of a whole culture that we want to build, that we're going to be looking into further training for everybody in the congregation. Uh, We want to have everything that we do Uh, be oriented to how can this be used to draw others into our fellowship. We're really serious about this, that we want to build this culture of outreach for us. And again, I want to stress not that this is in addition to worship or opposed to worship, but we feel like it's in many ways part of the consummation of worship, part of the glory and outflow of worship, just an extension of our worship that we worship him in this place and then we worship him as we live out our faith among others. And our longing to glorify him is manifested in our longing to glorify him in our everyday life. Um, so we feel like it's a necessary, vital part of the fulfillment of the joy of our worship in him. Again, I remind you of what John says, and you can look at this yourself uh, in the first few verses of First John, as he's talking about what they've seen in Christ, he says, we say these things to you so that our joy might be made full. And I'm just going to keep underscoring that, that we're as leaders trying for your joy, trying to maximize your joy so that you can uh, have the most delighted Christian life, which is one that overflows and spending itself for others. In outreach and mercy. <clears throat> so, with that as a bit of an introduction, let's look at Acts chapter 8 in the insert. We read that we happen to have read this in our Sunday school class as well because we're talking about 
how the spirit empowered the early church. Now, in chapter seven, we've had the execution and the martyrdom of Stephen. And we pick up then in chapter eight and Saul approved of his execution. That is Stephen's. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, apparently spurred on by this the death of one of the Christians. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Isn't it interesting that the next verses we read are written by that guy? If you don't know that, it's very interesting that the guy they're talking about right there actually wrote a good bit of the New Testament. So God's going to deal with him. Then this relates back, though, to that when it says all were scattered except the apostles. So this is non-apostle ministry. Okay. now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And the word here is not so much formal proclamation, but speaking and kind of gossiping. Uh, the word around. Then Colossians four. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Or Titus, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And then Galatians six, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then finally, Peter, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, will you bless, we, we ask, the preaching of your word. And Lord, may you apply it to our hearts by your powerful Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are present in our midst And that you are seeking to conform us to the ways of Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. Oh, Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Jim Peterson, who has had an extensive ministry with the Navigators, writes in his book, Evangelism or Lifestyle Evangelism. This is a 1980 book. He writes of going down to Brazil... As a missionary. And he said on the ship. 
in terms of passengers, there were 60 missionaries and 60 passengers just riding on the boat. And he thought, 16 days, 16 missionaries, 16, you know, I mean, 60 missionaries, 60 other people, one-on-one, 16 days, this will work, you know. So he began to engage one-on-one with different people on the ship and having some very good conversations and finding out about their lives. And then it would lead many times to talking about the word. And he said, but, you know, I thought this is bad because if all 60 of us are hitting on these different people, you know, they're going to say this is the eighth time somebody's talked to me about this. So we need to coordinate our efforts. So he found six missionaries that were basking in the sun on the uh, ship and he came up to them and said, look, I think it's important since we're all going to be probably doing this, that we coordinate our efforts. And he says, I quickly found out that was not the problem, that none of them was even thinking about that. One guy says, well, I just graduated from seminary. I don't know how to talk to somebody about Christ. Another guy says, hey, I'm a pastor, but I don't know how to talk one on one with anybody. And. He expressed his kind of surprise, you know, that here we are. And he even said something to that effect. Maybe if we 60 can't evangelize 60, then we're not going to do much good among 95 million people in Brazil. You know, so a little while later, three of the guys came back to his uh, his door and knocked and said, you know, we've been thinking about what you were saying. And this is what we want to do. We want to have an evangelistic meeting for the sailors on board. And Jim Peterson was kind of thinking, no, that's not what's... No, we're going to do this. And and then we want you to speak at it. So he finally agreed to it, but he said, I'm not going to speak. Let's just be there and we'll see who comes. And they said they met us, they announced it, met in a certain room. And the only thing that happened was sailors would walk through and kind of see it and walk through quickly so they didn't have to stay and... Finally, one guy, he says, was a a Baptist who went to church all the time, ended up in there. And he says, there we were, four missionaries and a Baptist in the evangelistic outreach. So then he said the next thing that happened was that they decided we're going to do a birthday party for one of the men passengers. And at the birthday party, we're going to let it kind of grow into something else. And so he didn't really want to be a part of that. So he went up to the upper deck and was engaging this guy one on one talking about the things of Christ. And they were in a real good conversation. And he heard down below the party and then he heard him sing, oh, Susanna and something else and something else. And then Rock of Ages and something else. Then another Christian song. And then he heard somebody preaching to these people that didn't know they were going to be at an evangelistic meeting. And he said they planned another meeting Two nights after that, and he said, instead of me having one person with me, there were 60 passengers up there (laughs) that time because they knew what was going on, you know, at that point. Now, I share that so that you again realize that when we're talking about evangelism, we're really trying to talk about wisdom and treating people like human beings and being in relationship to people and being friends over a long haul with people that you know and and continuing in those relationships within that context, sharing perhaps multiple times the gospel of Christ or different parts of the gospel over a period of time. We're not talking about, uh, you know, imposing on on people's lives, unasked for, uh, 
I had a, a really bad experience one time when I was going to EE training, and it was in Birmingham at Briarwood Presbyterian Church, and we were in a group of three people, and it was not my turn to speak, but there was a turn for this other fellow, and he was pretty eager beaver and kind of a country preacher type, and uh, we came to this door, and there was a young scientist that was in this apartment. And the young scientist let us know really quickly that he knew the gospel cold and that he had some problems with it, and he had some scientific questions about creation and all that kind of thing. He let us know pretty clearly. Well, this guy was not to be denied, you know, and he burst into the gospel and he got off the track of E.E. and started on his own thing. And at one point, here's one of the things that he said that that you could tell the guy's almost wincing at this point. But he said, but he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with this legal demands and set aside nailing it to the cross and disarmed the rulers and authorities. <laughs> just out of the blue, you know, just shouting this at this guy who'd already tried to let us know that, you know, I have now think. What a difference it would have made if somebody who lived across the way from that apartment had a relationship, had them into their apartment regularly. They continued as friends, did things together. And in that context, found out what this guy was thinking, found out what his problems were with Christianity. Perhaps that person would have read some himself on some science issues and the like. And they could discuss them openly and he could treat him like a real human being. I say this trying to keep letting you know what we're not talking about and what we are talking about. We're just talking about love working itself out in your everyday life. And in that context finding those opportunities that God will lay open before you, even as Peter anticipates, be ready when someone asks you. He didn't even say in that point, be sure you're telling everybody. In fact, one of uh, Jim Peterson's chapters is, why does it, that it is, it's entitled, why isn't the New Testament telling us to go witness all the time? Because in the epistles, Paul doesn't, say that over and over, he says the kind of things we've read. That our lives display the gospel, and in that context, we be ready to speak the gospel. That's the pattern of the New Testament. Well, let's talk then a little bit, and I've probably introduced too long, trying to give you a picture here, but in terms of our, our fears, the first thing I want to talk about is Know his presence and his fellowship as you minister to people around you. Know his, fellow, his presence and his fellowship as you minister to people. You know, we, we saw from Matthew 28, as he tells us to go, he says, and I'm with you. Very last words, interesting, very last words in Matthew. I'm with you to the end of the age. Surely that's to echo in our hearts and and hold us close. It's given to the going church. See, It's given to you when you walk out of your door to walk across the street and to trust him to say, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you're with me. I believe in your presence. I rejoice in your presence. Even enjoying him as you minister to people. How about that idea? 
We say, in the first uh, catechism question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So when you're trying to open up, open up relationships, you're seeking merely to glorify God, to show off God's love to someone that has touched your heart, and then to enjoy God in the midst of it, to enjoy his presence in the midst of it. I think for many of us, we're so stricken with fear, it's almost an, we feel abandoned by God almost at that point, rather than entering into fellowship with him. And I love what Paige Benton, I wasn't there, but Kay related this illustration she gives of going to visit her grandfather growing up. And when she would go to visit her grandfather in the mornings, he would spend a, a, a large amount of time with her cooking breakfast, going to get the paper, doing different things around the house. And she, of course, thought that he couldn't do those things. In fact, she said, I used to think, what does he do when I'm not here? You know, <laughs> how does grandpa get the paper and cook and do all these things when I'm not here? And of course, the truth is grandpa could do them a lot easier without the granddaughter. But what's that about? It's about relationship. It's about relationship that God allows us to participate in this so that we can be intimate with him. So that we can have fellowship with him. So that we will grow in our knowledge of him. We tend to think, I will grow in my knowledge of God in the word. And then I'll go out and do things. And then I'll grow in my knowledge of the word. But what does Jesus say in John 14, verse 21? Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father I will love him and manifest myself to him. Or later in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The idea is you will grow in your knowledge of God and your intimacy with God as you believe him and trust his word and give yourself to him to be used by him. It's not simply... In the word, but it's that word then lived out and believed in which we begin to experience more and more of the reality of this God. Those promises and those truths about him begin to take on richer and deeper meaning in our lives. He is to be met and found out there believing his promises and growing in his grace in those experiences. So I urge you. I urge you, for the sake of knowing even more deeply the presence and fellowship of Christ, give yourself to those around you. You see, that's not pitting worship against that. It's just saying there's an extension of the growing in the knowledge of Jesus is our giving ourselves away to others and fulfilling our joy. Again, in the context of laying down his life for his people, in the context of love, Jesus says, I've spoken these things that my joy may be in you. He never commands you to do something unless it is to fulfill his joy in you. Then secondly, think about his strength and protection. His strength and protection. How expectant we can be on the Holy Spirit does the Holy Spirit want to make Christ known? 
That's one of the chief things Jesus talked about in the upper room is he will come and he will make me known. He will focus attention on Christ. His ministry is to enable the church to bear witness of Christ. Can we say this? The Holy Spirit has an infinite desire to make Christ known to others. And we can expect that he will give us wisdom. We lack wisdom. He will give us boldness. We lack boldness. He will give us love and compassion. We lack love and compassion. But we have a mighty spirit that equips us and enables us. His desire is to glorify Christ. It is not a game with him. You have to each ask this question. Does the Lord want to use me? Does he? Surely you answer and say, absolutely, he does. Absolutely, the Holy Spirit will use me. Will he use us as a church? Absolutely. And then along those lines, as you're thinking about his strength and protection, think about your own fears. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of rejection? Are you afraid to be thought a fool by others? Are you afraid maybe just to have relationships or to care for people? What, what will it cost? What kind of in, entrapment will this be if I open up relationships to other people? But how we can look to Christ who himself was rejected, to this one who others thought so poorly of in different aspects of his life. How important for us to confess and at least be open and just tell God honestly, here are the reasons I don't do this, Lord. Here are the reasons that I don't meet my neighbor. Here are the reasons that I'm, I'm have not spoken to this or that person in a way to try to open up uh, the gospel to them. And ask for his grace. Ask him to fill you and govern you and strengthen you for love. Think of others who've been way more scared than any of us. And yet they are, have been used in powerful ways in, by God's grace. Do we have weaknesses in this? Paul said, I had terrible weakness. I asked for the Lord to take it away, but he wouldn't take it away. But he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's fine to confess your weakness. Fine to confess your fears. Fine to say, I I feel unable to do this or that. But say, Lord, I will give myself to you. If we are broken before him, he says specifically that he dwells with the brokenhearted. He dwells with those who know themselves to be weak. And I think Psalm 42 and 43, uh, three times there, uh, the psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. It's good for us to talk to ourselves. Some healthy talk about why am I this way? What is going on in my heart? How am I not believing God and trusting him? How is self-protection and self-dependence holding me back? How is my pride holding me back to saying, I'll call the shots on my life. I'll decide how to be happy. I won't trust God with my happiness. I won't trust God with my joy. And there is a joy in presenting yourself to him and saying, Lord, I'm yours. It's part of that living sacrifice. Lord, I'm yours to use. And Lord, 
I've made a list. Here are the five people, ten people, homes on my uh, street. I've written down the addresses. I've found out some names. I'm starting to pray for them. Lord, give me grace. Open up the way that I may care for these people. Lord, I put myself in your hands. You see, just little baby steps. Little baby steps to say, Lord, I want to be an instrument. And I want to urge you, don't make fear your idol. Don't bow down to fear and let that then govern your life. And dictate what you are or are not going to do. It can end up being a cover then for not caring about people, ignoring and neglecting people, refusing to do them good because of fear. And so let's turn away from that idol. I've certainly known it a lot in my life. Don't make fear the Lord of your life. Now, fear would say to you, you shall not speak. To the people that you know, you shall not open up relationships to them. And we must not obey that voice. But dedicate yourself to love. Dedicate yourself to love. And here I think it's so encouraging to think about passages like Titus 2.14 that says, He died so that we would be redeemed from every lawless deed and be zealous for good. Could we hold that up as a promise, as a hope to say, Lord Jesus, you have died so that we would be a congregation zealous to do good. And so, Lord, as I seek to do this, work powerfully by your death and your resurrection in my life through the Holy Spirit. I would urge you to. Memorize perhaps some of these passages that we've read, perhaps some other passages that will encourage you, that will equip you, that will strengthen you on just this one thing. I am going to love my neighbor. (laughs) By God's grace, what great things can happen. And now I want to talk just a little bit about action and Three things I want to, and this is, this is certainly not original with me. There's a ministry called Lighthouse that's been around for many years. And they use a, a simple little rhyme. But I think it is so helpful. Prayer, care, and share. Prayer, care, and share. It's a way for us to begin. It's a way for us to have before us, this is all we're talking about. As I begin to pray about myself and I pray about my neighbors and I begin to look for opportunities to care for them and in the wake of that continuing friendship and ministry of kindness and hospitality, I care for them and I share the gospel as God opens up opportunity. Pretty pretty nifty. Pretty, it summarizes everything that we do in those, those three simple words. And it also shows that there's not just the proclamation of the gospel, but there's the affirmation of the gospel by my life. That's what the New Testament underscores over and over again, is how we're to affirm that word in our lives. So, interestingly, in Titus 2, as he's speaking to the young women and how they're to deal with their homes and love their husbands and their children, he says that the word of God may not be reviled. See, there's an there's the word is at stake here. 
The message, the gospel is at stake in how I live my life. Later in Titus, he talks about the young men uh, obeying and he says, do this so that they will have nothing evil to say about us. And later talking about slaves being obedient, he says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God. So your life is an adorning of that doctrine and you are modeling the character of God. You are modeling the gospel as a preparation for sharing it. So God calls us to be before people, calls for us to uh, live before people. His title of that chapter is the puzzling epistles. Where are the exhortations to witness? Why doesn't he say on every page witness, witness, witness? But he says almost in every page. Live out a holy life. And scattered in there are the ideas of being ready to speak and use wise words as you share that gospel. So, you are the audio-visual of the grace of God. You're the audio-visual. And you know how helpful audio-visuals are and how more engaged we are many times when we're not just hearing it, but we're watching it. And you are purposely, by God, set there to watch, for people to watch. And for that to adorn the gospel before their lives. And here's another interesting thing. How a Christian lives before those you seek to win is a preview of what the unbeliever's life will be if he accepts what he's hearing. Think about that. And, of course, sometimes Christians are, it's not just that we're obedient to God, but we can be weird for no reason at all. You know, we're just out there being uh, unusual. And people think, if that's what I have to be to be a Christian, uh, then we can stand in the way of the gospel. So our lives are sitting there saying, this is what you could have. If you believe in Jesus Christ and see how important then this proclamation and affirmation is this prayer, care and share here, are just some ideas. And as I said, we'll put some of this in writing for you. But as you pray, pray about your love for them, pray for opportunities to serve, to show hospitality, to care for them. Pray for a growth in the relationship so that you'll have a real love for them, a real interest. They'll really be on your heart. You really long to do them good. A real relationship. Pray for those things with those around you. Pray for God to open up his or her heart to the gospel. Pray for multiple opportunities to share. You might share just a couple of minutes. One point you may give a testimony. Later something comes up and you're able to share another aspect of your faith and another and another. Pray that he'll have you'll have opportunities to expose him to the church's fellowship. Maybe you'll have friends over and let them see your fellowship or maybe there'll be something you can invite them to. Uh, but that's a real vital part of of ministry is not just your individual ministry, but the ministry of the whole body as they see us acting in concert and in love for one another. It has a powerful impact on the world. Pray that God will make this a part of your life. And care is very simple, isn't it? It's 
showing hospitality, having them to dinner, watching a movie together, going on a picnic together. If, you, if it's another family, playing, having a game night together, playing cards together. Then being aware of when there are needs in their lives so that you can bring food or visit and call and keep up with what's going on in their lives. A third thing of thinking about with care is take the initiative, take responsibility for the relationship and try to have an ongoing relationship in which you can have continuing conversations as friends. And that reduces the stress and fear on your part because you have a real relationship with someone and you can naturally share and you can tell I'm not offending them. They're interested because they know I care for them. And we're just talking about the things of our lives. They're sharing things with, uh, with, with me about their life and I'm sharing certain things and questions come up, things come up and out comes the gospel in various ways. And then in terms of care, I've already mentioned this, but don't think just individualistically, but think of the corporate setting. Think of them seeing and experiencing the new community that God is building the grace and power of God that's manifested in our shared life, the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst as they observe love and servanthood and mutual desire and passion for Christ. You see, it's a fuller testimony, a greater manifestation of God's grace. And that's a neat thing to think that it's not just me, but as God gives me opportunity, uh, others in the fellowship can have an influence as well. Well, there are things to talk about in terms of sharing, then uh, I'm, I'm just going to skip those and I'll put some things down on paper for you in that regard. Um, but I'll just say one thing about that only of the several things I was going to. Listen, listen to people. That's what happened when I was at the door with this young scientist. And, of course, we were in a a training mode. It was a time where you're supposed to have an opportunity to share the gospel. And you can understand this uh, young man's enthusiasm to get to share the gospel. And he had learned the gospel and he learned the whole outline. And he wanted to say the outline, you know, to this young man. But it just became so apparent what was needed. We need to listen to this young man. What are his concerns? What has he been through? What are his struggles? What is his view of God? Where is he coming from? And and people are on a spectrum. They may be out here having no concept of who God is at all. And for me to ask the question, if you died tonight and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And he says, you mean my fourth life or my eighth life? (laughs) And you realize, oh, oh, you believe in reincarnation. Okay, you know, you're like back to square one here. That assumes a, a, a Christian viewpoint, really. It, it assumes a Judeo-Christian framework. How do we know where this person's coming from? Is this person a Muslim, a Buddhist, a, a total secularist? Where's this person coming from? And isn't that a way to show them the dignity of, I care about you. I care really what you think. I do. And then we can speak to them in a way that really engages them where, where they are. And open a way for the gospel. Well, there are other things. We we know how fearful it is. What's going to happen if they ask me certain questions? We don't feel prepared. I was talking to Jim Bland recently, who's our director of M&A nationally. And we had lunch. And 
And he said uh, that one of the key things for helping people to relax and talk to people is a good foundation in apologetics. That is, what a, here's an array of 30 different questions that might come up. Being ready to sit to how would I answer those things? So we recognize that we want to help get you to that point and, and ourselves as well so that we'll be better prepared to simply engage people in daily conversation and we can relax and trust God and love on people with the gospel. And I might I want to close by asking you this question. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you're not for me, you're against me. We have an opportunity to be the light of the world. And I hope that if you're sitting there as a believer, you're not playing in your mind whether or not you're going to be used by God to draw people to Christ. If that if that's playing in your mind that I may just totally back out of that and I'm just going to be here on Sunday and, and you can forget about my being used outside of this place then perhaps you need to ask, is Jesus really your Lord? Have you really entrusted your life to Jesus? Do you really feel helpless in sin and see Christ as the only hope for your salvation and you've embraced Him with gratitude and dependence and awe that Jesus would save you, that He would stand in the place of sinners and bear the punishment of sinners and offer Himself to rescue you and to, to be your Lord and, and for the Father to be your Father forever and ever. Those, that, that fundamental response, of course it grows, but it could be an indication that maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've never trusted Him. Maybe you're living your life exactly the way you want to and you've never said, Lord Jesus, I trust you to save me and I trust you to govern me from now on. I'm yours. Now, we can't do that perfectly, but we can do it sincerely. We can fundamentally put ourselves in the hands of Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I am yours. Let us pray. Oh, Lord. Thank you for the amazing privilege of having been called out of darkness into light, as Peter says, so that we may proclaim your excellencies. Lord, I confess, perhaps many here, my life is governed so many times with just busyness, with personal safety, with self-protection, with comfort, with entertainment over relationship, over my personal agenda, over caring for other people, governed by fears, governed by so many things. Lord, we confess this to you. We confess that we hold on to our life many times, just clutching it clutching it like a baby would a broken toy because we we think you're going to do something to us we think you're going to ruin us if we really lay ourselves out there can we trust this lord to do us good are you really the treasure are you really capable of fulfilling our lives are you worthy 
of our obedience. Are you worthy of this sacrifice? Oh Lord, give us grace to honor you, to entrust ourselves to you, and to never look back, and to find you in fellowship with you, and discover new riches of intimacy with you as we see the fulfillment of your word in our lives. Thank you for this privilege. Bless us, Lord. And if there's anyone here that would have to say, I don't trust Jesus to save me and I have not entrusted my life to him as my Lord. Oh, may even right now that person say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. Forgive me of my sins. And Lord Jesus, govern me and transform me and change me. This we ask in the precious name of Christ. Amen.